a Robo Kid. In honor of the creator in theaters this weekend, what's your favorite non-human masquerading as a human in a movie? I'm Katie Rich, and I think I'm going with the gold standard choice, which is Vincent D'Onofrio as the bug alien man in Men in Black. I'm Matt Patches. This might be controversial. I'm going with the witches from the witches. Now, are they human? The original witches? Human? Yeah, the original witches. Human? Oh, God, I forgot about the Anne Hathaway version. Fuck that. <laughs> More fuck it's Robert Zemeckis, this... not Anna Hathaway. Sorry, that's a, I just want important clarification not her fault. here. This is a light <laughs> Anne Hathaway is give little answers. <laughs> I'm David the Seven, and I watched Metropolis this year for the first time since college, and uh, Hell, the machine person, disguised as a lady seductress so she could lure parents away from the lower city while it floods, is actually still visually stunning and still incredibly diabolical. Uh, and I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going to go with Jonathan Lipnicki and Jerry Maguire. Fan <laughs> <laughs> theory. Human head, human head weighs eight pounds. I'm not going to tell him that's not true. And my head weighs that's ten. What, and why does he know the weight of a human head? <laughs> Only because he's a monster who decapitates humans in his sleep. I don't think you've been hanging out with enough uh, elementary schoolers. You'll get there. You had me at head. <laughs> mm, mm, Dave, did mm. the wa- did the version of Metropolis you watched have more of the movie than when in college? I can't remember when they found. Yeah, more I think of so. Metropolis. I mean, I, that's cool. Uh, there were definitely parts where I was like, oh, and it was also like very well restored, but had zero soundtrack, so you really had to focus in on it. That might also help. They didn't have like a live score going with it or anything. Nope, it was just like here's fucking Metropolis. Cool. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's a Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It is episode 446. It is the week of Wednesday, September 27th. That is the day that in 1908, Henry Ford's first Model T left the Piquette plant in Detroit, Michigan. I guess that's like wow. the birthday of the Model T is the idea. Yeah, we're going with there. it's like it's like it was the a, cars. A good move. Like, are we happy with where cars went? With cars. Uh, was mm. it a, a regret that we have? I mean, I think you really have to consider the fact that like... You know, the cars exist, but like they have eyes, but who are the human drivers yeah, and like yeah, where, why do the cars like have, have Also, I'm, I've always and... been a little offended that Henry Ford didn't get a story credit on John Lasseter's cars. <laughs> or at least like some sort of consulting fee. Inspired wasn't he like by... horribly racist? Haven't we given him enough credit over Listen, history? I believe in I mean, fairness Wasn't everyone all. born between, before in like 1950 horribly racist? That's probably true, honestly. I mean, right, bad news for you about everyone born after 1950. <laughs> They're all pure souls. <laughs> Never committed a uh, sin. My understanding is that we have some reviews and an email, at least one email, this week. We do. Uh, at least I can speak to the first part. RDM underscore 1991 says, Media Unions. I really enjoy the show and always look forward to hearing a discussion of something I've watched. I am writing because I have a question about unions at media companies like The Ringer and Condé Nast. This is Mm. for Dave Seven and Katie, I guess, but I'm mostly curious about how the unionization affects your day-to-day life at those companies. Are you members? Do you help organize? Do you negotiate on the other side of the table? Have the gains made a marked difference? I guess all the discussion of WGA and SAG strikes are making me curious about media unions, and I was wondering if you could give me your perspective. 
I'm offended by this because it calls out Katie and Dave as if I didn't sit at a negotiation table for a year and a half negotiating one of the early media contracts for Thrillist while Katie yeah, went, do you we really, really need this? And I said, Maybe. yeah, you were really on the Vanguard. union brained. And I'm pretty, wait, Dave, are you, you're not union eligible at Ringer, are you? No, I'm not a full-time uh, Ringer okay, employee. I'm, I'm a supporter of the union from the freelance sector. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say that I am. union at Vox Media, so I've seen both sides of mine now i hate the Ooh. union no oh because you're management <laughs> at box so now, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. now you can't be in the union uh yeah i'm not management at Condé nas even though i manage people which is another conversation um so i'm in the union i would not say it has been a large part of my day-to-day life i think a lot of the people who are most served by the union are the permalancers and the people and kind of working on the video side of things where they've been viewed as like very disposable and been made to work insane hours for not enough pay um and there's Do you a have lot a of contract um, use at, at vanity at Condé? is that God, Did I that guess I so. I, I'm sure. I don't think I, so. A, a union contract? Uh, yeah, yeah. They you got do? The, 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 hang on. The union got um recon- they, the they voted kind of to voluntarily recognize the union. Yes, but you have gotten voluntary recognition. I don't think you've negotiated a contract, have you? I don't know. Yeah, you worked there. Think of that. You would know. I, would know <laughs> I, I don't the mean to put you on blast on the thing, but this is actually really interesting because a lot of I don't people think people know how long and arduous it is to. Not just do what the WGA did right now, which is like negotiate the damn contract, but to establish uh, the union in the first place, take so much organization. And I was just recounting this. Um, we talked on the podcast a few weeks ago about labor movies, and I watched Norma Ray with a group of my friends and was trying to explain just like how much it sucks to start the conversation about creating a union at the workplace because it's like, First, it's over dinner. Then it's with 10 people. Then it's with 20 people. And then it's like, can we get everyone to vote <laughs> yes? And then it's like, can we do this and that? And then we have to sit through union busting meetings. And then we have to do this. And then you finally vote. And then you get to spend a year and a half of your life in a second job where you're trying to negotiate the contract. And it is yeah, actually terrible. Yeah, but you do it for the workers. Leave. And you do it You do it for the workers. But a lot of people forget. And a lot of people are like, can we just be done with this? They really mm-hmm. wear you out. And, and, that's the and you stay the thrillist forever. Story. And I, well, I, this is something else that I've been thinking a lot about watching the labor movies and watching the, the labor action in Hollywood is that you don't, I mean, yes, I left Thrillist, but the legacy of that work remains. It's still for the workers who are there today. You, you do this not for yourself. And, um, hell yeah. and that's the important thing you need to remember um, when you're like in the, the hell of it. It sounds like but, raising children in a way, but, uh, good, uh, yeah. good on Matt, Matt. Matt's done his time in uh, in the union and world. Now I can and, hate the union as a manager. Yeah, and congratulations to the WGA for putting up a good fight and inevitably winning. Uh, it really, we, like, having seen just a little bit of the union from the inside, it is miraculous that the WGA managed to uh, pull off what they did. So good on them. Why do you say, I mean, I hate to extend the segment any longer, but why do you well, say miraculous? Like, the, we don't even have a contract <laughs> over here. I just am impressed that they managed to wrangle thousands of people to negotiate with like incredibly powerful oblivious execs and actually secure contracts. I think it's it helps. I think it helps that the, the AMPTP's terms and like the streaming uh, dynamic prior to the strike were so flagrantly unfair that it was an easy cause to rally around. You know, maybe not for most Americans uh, who were, although most Americans did side on the favor of the writers, but it was easy to sort of tr- muddy the waters. But I think anyone who works in the industry could and understands the streaming economics, how they work, or more importantly, how they do not, uh, would appreciate 
what the WGA was fighting for, and I could not be happier that they won. Uh, five oh. stars, no notes, says Ryan P. Shaw, 1975. What is it, Patches? What? What is it? What do you got to get off your chest? <laughs> we all have, no one wants to talk about this interesting topic. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it is very interesting. Would you like to devote a segment to it? Maybe mm. Maybe when okay. SAG resolves. Yeah, nice. or the VFX yeah. unions actually form in Disney and Marvel, because that is happening now and exciting. Yeah, and video game actors are striking, too. What a world. Hell yeah. Um, Okay, five stars, no notes. Hey there, fighting in the war rumors, fit warers. Like many listeners, I discovered you all through your appearances and mentions on other podcasts, namely Blank Check and Film Spotting, and eventually found my way to the mothership and then headed down the rabbit hole of the fighting in the war room expanded universe. Little Gold Men, Storm of Spoilers, Galaxy Brains, R.I.P. Galaxy Brain, I believe. It was just one brain. <laughs> or were there two? I mean, there were two plural. hosts, yeah, but no, one it brain. Plural. Oh, it was, it was plural. Galaxy okay. Brains. Yeah. My apologies, still uh, Ryan P. Shaw. Um, <laughs> I feel like despite being on average 10 years older than you all, 47, soon to be 48, I am the Voltron to your colored tigers, as each of you completely by coincidence represents some facet of my personality. Dave is my political spirit animal, and I often find myself laughing as I hear him hold back from damning the man and burning the motherfucker down. Although uh, Ryan Pichon, 1975, asterisk out motherfucker. Maybe because iTunes needs him too. I'm never clear on those rules. Patches is a nerd. All of my gamer buddies wish I was. David, sometimes detached, exasperated on Wii, said with a wink and a nudge, feeds my soul from introducing me to Love is Blind, currently airing season five. Controversial, to casually name-dropping Pablo Lorraine's sharp elbows, all while taunting us with the legend of Pumpkin Pie Talenti. Fuck Pumpkin Pie Talenti. Never coming back to Brooklyn. I've moved on to, to Nunes. But now it's tea season. Katie, I too grew up in the South, moved to a major city, and then back to the South. In my case, it was Virginia Beach to Chicago and back to Virginia Beach where I try to keep my cosmopolitan street cred here among Pat Robertson's wreckage. Anyway, enough of my sycophantry. <laughs> Thanks for getting me through a 22-day COVID hospital stay in 2020. Oh, jeez, man. Oh, glad Jesus. That, I'm glad you made it glad, out of that. Glad you made it out of that. I hope it was the last day of its kind. Everyone I know is suddenly getting COVID again, except for Dave, who's been living in a bunker for the last three years, providing me with all kinds of pop cultural fodder for my students. And we got a teacher on our hands. And for always responding to my tweets, whether they are sublime as questions about Gene Hackman's turtlenecks in the Poseidon Adventure, or as mundane <laughs> as a picture of a Baja Blast ice cream. If you're ever vacationing here on the coast, drop me a tweet. I'd love to buy you a beer. Stay weird and have adventures at Ryan P. Shaw, 1975. Was oh, nice. God, dropping a tweet. Will there be enough time for anyone to drop tweets drop to each a, other before drop Twitter's a gone? Drop a skeet. We gotta fix that. Ugh. Uh, thank you so much for uh, leaving us reviews if you can leave us on the Apple Podcasts app we would love that if uh, for some reason you can't or you're in an international store and you'd still like us to see your review uh, even though we're not looking uh, you could send emails to fitwr.podcast at gmail.com Ryan P. Shaw also sent a copy of his uh, review to the email Love that when that happens, then you definitely get read. But we also have one more email. This is from returning podcast writer uh, inner Luke Higginson, who was previously on with an email subtitle or titled, I'm a listener and I have a movie coming out. Luke mm. wrote back and said, holy crap, thank you so much for reading my email and talking about it on the podcast. I got a huge thrill out of that. I also can't believe I didn't include the title of my own movie in the email. This is why I don't work in PR but I'm pretty thrilled that my mistake led to a pull quote I could treasure forever. Quote, good title, unquote, David Ehrlich. 
You all rule. Thanks again, Luke. Luke sent another email without mentioning that his movie is titled Relax, I'm from the future. <laughs> it's out now. You can see it it's now. out now. It's out. You should Luke. Luke, I think you need to sign you change your email signature. I can see it's just defaulted to Luke. It needs to be like Luke Director Relax I'm from the Future because this needs to be mentioned when you're promoting Relax I'm from the Future. Your movie, Luke Higginson, Relax I'm from the Future. That you can watch. Which is right a good title. <laughs> uh, you can write us in with uh, stuff about promoting your own movie or just general questions at fitwr.podcast.com uh, at gmail.com and uh, yeah that's it let's get on with the shit So this weekend, I saw on the internet that lots of people were watching the same Hulu, uh, I guess, science fiction horror movie called No One Will Save You. And there were enough people from regular film people I follow on Twitter to even Stephen King uh, stepped up and gave a good tweet he review. Famously, uh, you know, great flawless taste. movie taste. He's, he's right. The he Shining loved, sucks, I've, and the TV version of Shining rules! <laughs> I've seen him, like, two movies this year. One is this one, No One Will Save You, which we are about but to talk he, about. He was paid uh, to to uh, praise The Last Voyage of the Demeter, and it was not marked as an he ad, as I know. Yeah, it was an ad. How do you and know that? And this may also... Are you, it, it, are was, you, uh, it was like scoop? if you went into the... No, I mean, this was like, people were discussing this at the time, I and mean, if you, like, clicked on the fine print, you could see that it was an ad. Um, it read is just an enthusiastic tweet, but was so Stephen King was one of those then, uh, reviewers inflating Rotten Tomato scores when they were indeed. Wow. So it's it's the hard to and Stephen King yeah. journalism, the movie guru, <laughs> the NYC movie guru, and Stephen King. Okay, hard to know uh, if he is uh, sincere about this, but having seen the movie, I I have unlike the last voyage of the Demeter, I have no trouble believing that he is sincerely a fan of this film. Yes, this is a alien abduction, uh, or I guess maybe alien abduction slash home invasion movie, uh, written and directed by Brian Duffield. This is, I believe, his second feature, uh, starring in the main role, Caitlin Deaver, who for me is still from Booksmart, but has uh, gone on to do fantastic roles besides that. Um, and it's, uh, very notable, and the thing that eventually gave me, uh, pause enough to give it a try and boot up old, old Hulu is that, uh, there is only two lines of dialogue in this hour and a half movie, which isn't to say there isn't a lot of sound or a lot of plot, uh, I think there kind of is both around the edges, but it's a very interesting experiment, uh, that follows, uh, Deaver's character, Bryn who is living sort of on the edge of this town. She uh, makes clothes to sell on Etsy. She's making a model town in her house. Uh, but anytime she tries to interact with the townspeople, they are shunning her, and we do not know why. Uh, there they isn't any dialogue. They spit on her face when they see her They spit on her face when Dang. they see Pretty her in town. severe. I wouldn't spit on mm. my enemy's face. Am I weak <laughs> for that? You would you spit on Donald Trump's face if you're good? I would the not spit on Donald Trump's face. I just don't. I wow. think that's sick. That's gross. I would spit on Donald Trump's face. You would Dave, spit I know on you his would. face. You, no, you wouldn't. You are too classy to spit on a face. 
You would. I you would think pull I'm. Back. Cla- I don't know. I think I'm, most I'm, people's I'm, faces I would not spit on. But I'm no Michelle Obama, so when they go low, <laughs> I undercut them. You have two middle fingers. To, to, you don't have to spit on a person. I mean, you could give two middle fingers to cops completely legally for no reason. Why would yeah. I not elevate that to Donald Trump, who I know is an asshole? Oh, I would definitely. Do. Yeah, you and think, you really you hate think, germs. Two middle fingers. Yeah, you think you would be satisfied by giving Donald Trump? two middle fingers like that would that would no, slake you your wouldn't. desire for revenge i i don't think so i do think the germaphobe aspect does enhance the appeal of spitting yep anyway uh, on, Patch is get on board <laughs> we're not worried Patch's about corner <laughs> <laughs> i snuck one in there <laughs> we're not so much worried about that type of infection uh in this movie but uh an alien uh shows up at Bryn's house one night um, that she is an alien with some telepathic powers, and she manages to kill it by stabbing it in the head. And it's when she, uh, the next morning, she goes to maybe report this to the police uh, that she gets her face spit on. So even if they could have been warned that maybe aliens are coming for everybody, they do not want to hear this from poor Bryn. She's done something horrible that we will eventually figure out in the movie. But the pressing matter is that these aliens keep coming back to do something to her at her house, and she has to fight them off. I would say, like, light Home Alone style, um, uh, but uh, still some home defense. She's more like swinging doors into their faces and outrunning them. It's not Home Alone. Well, she she pre-boils some water to throw boiling water. That is true. She she uses Mm. a talk boy to uh, get one of them to just be like, ah, 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 ah. And she can't get me! And the talk boy does all the talking. I got this movie props, though. As you mentioned, Dave, early on in the movie is her first encounter with an alien. Two points here. We get a gray alien. There are not a lot of gray aliens in movies and as an old school ufo nerd coast to coast am listener of the 90s i I was happy that we have another gray alien movie in the in the canon now because there are not too many of them and just like and then point number two is you see them like really early there's no confusion here there's a big gray alien stalking her in her house which she eventually stabs in the face and this is in pretty close to the beginning of the movie so you can imagine how it's escalating from there with the alien encounters it's not a lot of like "Ooh, we see a little foot is it really there in the shadows for like 90 minutes and then you get a look at an alien you get some aliens in the movie and i i needed that oh yeah and uh, each encounter with the alien sort of ups the ante in some sort of way this movie does uh, a lot of work for uh, the beam of light that we track classically <laughs> think about maybe x-files wise uh, that represents you know uh something coming from a flying saucer uh- uh, I would go so far to... as to say that I have never seen a movie that has more fun with tractor beams than this movie does. I mean, fair. I, I, I try to think of all the Star Trek bar, movies, but you're probably but, uh, absolutely right. Yeah, I've never <laughs> seen a Star Trek movie, and I have no intention to do so. So it's all within Any my limited Star frame Trek of movie? reference. You've never right. seen a Star Trek Oh, no, I've seen, I've seen the J.J. Abrams ones. Um but I've never uh, seen the, the good ones? I've never, I've never seen oh, oh, the good ones. Jesus the good Christ. ones. Not I mean, back I just, in Patch's corner right now. I, I'm saving it until Jordan. I'm saving until Jordan Hoffman dies, and then I will uh, <laughs> <laughs> watch Star Trek at his funeral. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> what he would want. Uh, why do you think there's tractor beams that start? Never mind, Dave. Go on. Um. Uh, so uh, 
uh, we had the first encounter really early on, like Patches was saying. The next night kicks off uh, some escalating encounters and uh, some uh, greater peaks into maybe what the aliens, uh, plural, have in store for Earth. And I don't want to spoil too much of the third act of the movie, but we escalate to the point that we are eventually on a spaceship uh, with a bunch of gray aliens. I was... Oh, the movie ends in a very particular way. We should talk um, about that at the at the end of this segment. We will have to ring a spoiler yes. gun because I am curious for your thoughts there. But yeah, uh, the first two acts of the movie, I'm really, I'm very much into it. Uh, I thought maybe uh, like there are a lot of movies that I kind of half watch. I have been trained to be a damned second screener that I have to uh, attempt not to do. So I had to go back and watch the first 10 minutes of this movie again because I think I was like looking away or doing dishes or something. Uh, And I think it's really smartly paced. Uh, Sometimes it kind of feels like a gimmick, especially that face spitting scene. Because like, I don't know, if I had an alien corpse, I would just be yelling that to people as I was approaching the police station. You know, I'd be (laughs) panicking a little bit. Uh, But then once it gets to the um, rest of the movie that is basically... One woman versus a bunch of aliens. Uh, I think it really clicks in. Uh, it well, manages to work can, around. Can we talk a little bit about why she doesn't talk? Uh, I mean, I, there, sure. this is not this is not to the movie the best of the movie's ability. It's not an arbitrary decision, and it's not like the Buffy episode Hush, which it formally reminded me a lot of, but uh, in which there is a very explicit reason why the characters literally can't talk. Bryn. As far as we can tell, and I, I don't think there's anything to contradict this, can certainly talk. Um, yes. But she, her isolation is so extreme um, because of whatever happened to her that has made the townspeople shun her. Uh, her mother has died a couple of years ago, which we learned at the beginning of the movie. She's living alone. She can only communicates with the outside world sort of furtively or in packages. Um, she is struggling with some emotional baggage to put it mildly um and i think the the device the dialogue free device is is there to sort of enhance her isolation and and uh allow it to sort of take on a physical component for those of us watching it um and i think it's successful in that regard to a degree i do agree with pat with patches with pat our good friend pat that uh <laughs> there are there are this pronunciation there are definitely there are definitely moments in the movie where the 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 circumstance of a scene is not strong enough to justify the lack of speaking uh and the gimmick becomes um something that pulls your attention sort of out of what you're watching but it was fun to have an experience that we've now deprived all of our listeners of having which is watching the movie not knowing anything about that gimmick and just being like writing in my notes like 15 minutes like oh huh but it really feel uh, like a gimmick saving I mean, she's a lot just of dialogue not, she's not in the movie with anyone so there's really no one to talk to like it's right it was just like, right? I, like it's a right i mean at first it's not pronounced and then after 20 minutes i was like i just sort of noticed i was like i haven't heard anyone talk and then uh and then you know watching it with the subtitles can sort of dis- distract you from that because when someone's in the background and like you know a non-character like a car crash yeah they'll be like <laughs> you know you'll like they'll translate what they're saying also the uh, aliens but, talk quite yeah. a bit even though we can't understand them. sure I, I enjoy that they have some well you speak for yourself <laughs> um but yes they but yeah i think that they are uh that's the theme he's playing with it does parlay into the ending which i don't really think we need to spoiler gong to talk about because we talked about it in extract terms but if the team insists then sure but like i you know it's it's, it's also about her 
Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I don't mean, I don't mean talking about it um, oh. without a spoiler gong. I just mean we can talk about it in abstract enough terms that it doesn't require any sort of spoiler warning. But um, I, you know, it's a movie about her guilt and the need for forgiveness and this idea that, like, rather than building her reality around what other people think of her, that she sort of has to reach a point where she decides for herself, um, you know, what judgment she is going to levy upon herself. And I think the movie handles that well. And the ending is satisfyingly weird, uh, a way of serving that. I point. mean, we could talk about the ending now. Uh, and I, I confused why you don't think it's even worth that. It, that's such an obvious extension that it's, we could talk about abstractly because it's like, it's still kind of a clover feel moment right like oh yeah i mean we can, we can talk gong. about it i'm just saying like, we don't ding dong spoiler gong here that's not what a gong ding dong spoiler ding gong spoiler gong how have we i haven't reached that in like 10 plus years of podcasting um obviously at the end of the movie there's a lot of great set pieces of the movie i loved when um the big spider alien was chasing her and gets into a car that explodes and then the tractor beam sucks up all the fire like all that stuff is really neat um and i think duffield i don't know if anyone saw his first movie spontaneous or the movie i heard it was quite Love good monsters spontaneous was fun i mean it's just like a clever rom-com where people are exploding in town um, wait love and monsters was that the one with uh dylan o'brien wrote that yeah uh, oh i i i was like very pleasantly surprised by that movie yeah i think he just is like genre in inverter and and he he knows how to set up a scene he also wrote the insurgent movies which i we won't look back at those ever well, um, everyone's gotta eat but you know for most of this time we're watching caitlin deaver run around being attacked by aliens and that is satisfying and then you get to this part where she's finally confronting what happened which is wow she killed her best friend with a rock like pretty pretty brutal move um but she was and- a child it was yes. it was like an it made impulsive. Me think, I'm like, oh shit, my kid could kill someone with a rock. I better right. watch out. They, like, it really spooked me. They really better you teach know. her not to ki- kill Don't kids with rocks. It's the kind rocks. of thing. It's it's the kind of thing that if you were a townsperson uh, who didn't really know her, you would be like, that's the girl, that's the child murderer girl, even though she's yeah. like cute and isn't looking, you know, like, um, and you would, um, you know, I think we it's understandable see her why. At the, uh police station you probably have a lot of yeah but i think it's also what's interesting about the crime is that it's also the kind of thing where just showing it to us you can appreciate how it was this sort of impulsive childhood act and it doesn't necessarily mean that she is a terrible person and so on and then uh the aliens force her to eat some sort of blobby uh tentacled thing that makes her trip and relive these moments and then she gets sucked into the so I, 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 my reading on all of this was that oh, okay. um, she was like, that's just the process by which they body snatch. And, uh, you know, yes, they, that's why you see, see other like, people the, with the thing in their yeah, throat earlier. Yeah. In the movie. And you see the For double sure. of her, which I think is really interesting that it's like, it's not that they are body snatching. They're actually making another Cloning. version of right. someone that the world sees, which again, parlays into the theme of the movie. Uh, but mm. I think you're right because she takes it out of her mouth and then she gets sucked into the, the spaceship and then they give her the like AI future robots. Let's look back at your yeah. life. I mean, the only thing that's impossible is like all the, 
like all the aliens are so fascinated by the one act of violence that she committed that they all gather around her like they're in a surgeon's not only that but they're like butthole alien at the top of their ship farts out commands like let her go (laughs) i'm so profoundly moved Uh, by her trauma we have to bring her back to you know like i i and they uh it is it is that bit is a little silly but i know they are uh oh start you know stuff for time at the end there but then the twist the twist is that at the end she's dancing and she's among people dave is it all is it all fiction what happened at the end of the movie do you think she's she died or did oh, she go to their other planet or what's going on no i mean i think they just um just from a really basic alien point uh realized they found something they could empathize with in her and then also realized that she wouldn't be a threat if they just gave her something she wanted so it seems like during the middle part of this movie, they keep coming back to our house because they're like, who's this person that resisted us and why? There's like a curious gray alien who mm. isn't actually assaulting her. He's like looking at her pictures and reading her notes and stuff. So I think primary thing is, are these people a threat? Are they going to stop us from, you know, whatever? And once they realize that they can kind of let her be without it, like interfering with their plans... She gets the thing that she didn't realize she was looking for, which was just like, once the aliens replace everybody, she has total empathy with her town in a way that was impossible right. with all the towns. She has not before. been changed. Everyone else is the cloned versions, and she is now living in paradise where the aliens are ruling yeah. over body and snatched she, people, but she's, she's still- regular. She still doesn't need to talk because that's, you know, who she's become over these several years of being insular, but it's always better to dance with other people than to dance by yourself. And the movie's sort of like, da-da-da-da-da, and goes off on a shot of a whole bunch of uh, flying saucers patrolling a apparently yeah. conquered Get Earth. rid of all these people in the world who talk. Just let the people who sit silent. I Podcasters will be the first to go. Yeah, they're the first to go. It's like the last 20 <laughs> minutes of the movie that don't work as great for me. A, because of gigantic butthole ship uh, and the various vibrating talking aliens um, and their solution to just sort of let her be. I was just like, huh, I, I like where it left me emotionally. I don't know if it makes sense, the whole movie from beginning to end. And that like this act, you know, nobody... Nobody else managed to A, resist them, and B, have accidentally killed a person. Like, I don't have that much faith in humanity. So (laughs) there was a little bit of disconnect for me. But by the time that happens, like, the movie's so close to over. I think this is, like, a really solid uh, September entry into, like, cinema. I believe when I wrote the email asking if we could talk about it on the thing, I'm like, September schlock is back. Like, I would... I would take this. Mo- I would watch this movie five hundred times if it meant I never had to think about watching Slender Man once. This is exactly what September movie season I think should be, and I don't. I, I think it would have done great in theaters if uh, they decided to release it. But I'm also very mm, happy with yeah. it being instantly accessible because I think it's actually a harder sell. Mm. I think the gimmick's a harder sell when you can't just give it a try on streaming. Well, uh, if you had the- to buy a ticket, take the ride. In the that that's fair enough, but in in the post creator utopia that I imagine for myself, and we could discuss at a later date when we talk about the creator. Um, this is the kind of movie that studios will be pumping out uh, as uh, as they once did. Um, and so I I would love to have David seen this. Sees a bright in, uh, future. 
I mean, I'm deluding myself for the time being. We'll see. Um, and we just got an email that the SAG uh, and AMPTP are going to meet again next week. So everything's everything's coming up. But um, I mean, God, the, you would hope so. My Lord. Yeah. But uh, this movie, and I was speaking to some friends who saw it at a premiere screening in L.A. where it apparently really brought the house down. Um, I mean, this movie absolutely would have killed in theaters. It reminds me of something like Hitman, which is another movie that the Richard Linklater film that Netflix bought that that really, I think, is a crowd pleaser first and foremost and will lose a lot streaming at home. And it's a real shame yeah. because this would have been like seeing this in the theater, I think, really would have been exciting in this day and age where, um, yeah, it would have been pretty small scale for what we now consider to be theatrical genre entertainment. But it also would is so much sort of more interesting and better crafted than most of that stuff that it really would have been it but really you been can't watch it in theaters watch it at home on hulu <laughs> now yeah. Okay, for our mini segment, we're going to do a quick round. It's not about movies. It's not about TVs. It's going to be about books, everybody, because today I was uh, sitting in front of actually my app because I do a lot of audio books these days. I'm taking my kid for like a 6 a.m. walk. I, I, I got to listen to things that hits the middle ground between like interesting but not putting me to sleep while I'm zombie walking around my neighborhood. Anyway, what's hard to Google is uh, books that I can actually get at the library right now, which is not usually new books. Um, and it's not does your usually web, popular does your book, books. Does your library not have a website where you can like place holds and stuff? Yes, of course I can place a hold, but if I need a book now, 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 <laughs> I need a good book that has like some distance and whatever. Like you gotta, you gotta, you can't get a new book. And actually the new book that I wanted to borrow was being a Stephen King hack of Twitter who endorses movies he may not even like. <laughs> um, I wanted to read his new book, Holly. Uh, which is about a character he's been writing about for ages since Mr. Mercedes and Finders Keepers. And instead, I read a book called The uh, oh, fuck, I'm, I just uh, the Outsider. Has anyone read Stephen King's The Outsider or watched the HBO miniseries version? I've read of Pearl the S. Outsider? Buck's The Outsiders. Is that the same thing? Absolutely not. This is completely yeah. different. <laughs> and there was and, that uh, one. There was that, that terrible HBO show that nobody watched. I vaguely remember now. The is Outsiders. it terrible yeah, because I, you didn't yes. watch it? Or? Okay. I just heard it was well, terrible, I and then and, I watched some of it, and it was terrible. Okay. Dave, you've I, I did. I did both. I read it and watched it. This book uh, is the most page-turnery page-turner I've read, and I actually listened to it, and Will Patton narrates it in a fantastic narration. Oh, Will um, Patton. And Will Patton rules. And Will Patton. Uh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't put this audiobook down. I was, like, plugging in my ear, well, you know, headphones when I, in my non 6 a.m. walk time just to like get through this book which yeah on the surface it seems like crime fiction it's a just if you if you dive into this book please know that there's a, just a horrible descriptive child murder in the very beginning of this book you listen really, to this while walking your kid yes, with my small child i'm like oh precious children um <laughs> and and from there you know if you have seen the hbo trailers you may have seen uh, ben Mendelssohn and Jason Bateman in this. this. The setup is basically that here in this little Atlanta town that the chief of police is about to arrest the kind of like 
nicest guy in town who coaches Little League. Uh, this is the Bateman character in the show. And everybody in town loves him. Everybody in town knows him. And a handful of people swear that they saw this guy kill a kid and molest him and sodomize him and do the most horrible things ever and walk out of the woods covered in blood. And they know it was him. Uh, and as you go through this book, it becomes very apparent that there's no way it could also be him because he was in another place. And the, the evidence is just there's certain evidence that he did it. And there's certain evidence that he could not have been there. And it is an amazing just how what is going on here set up by Stephen King, who tears through it. And I had such a I great like time in, reading this book. And it would be King's style to provide a clear resolution to that story rather than leaving it ambiguous. Is that correct? I would say it's an extremely satisfying one. I wouldn't say it's okay. like 100 percent clear, but you're you're right. Like, I think people will end this book feeling very satisfied on how this thing can happen. But it is certainly crime fiction in the beginning so if you like a good page turner mystery it's there for you and then it goes in some wild directions and i i and holly from the mr mercedes books shows up and so if you are excited to dive into the new king book holly this book is a great way to start what have you guys been reading what should i read next this is what i just put down and now i don't know what to to read because there's a million books oh me me if you're into audiobooks, I definitely suggest you check out Honey Baby Mine. It is by Laura Dern and Diane Ladd. Basically, Diane Ladd in real life was um, diagnosed with a lung condition from having uh, been living close to uh, toxic chemical emissions. And so as part of her uh, therapy, she would have to go on walks with Laura Dern and Laura Dern decided uh, it would be fun to sort of have conversations about Hollywood and their life and then transcribe those tapes into a book that they then read as themselves on the audiobook. So the audiobook is like basically a mini play of Laura Dern and Diane Ladd taking these walks uh, and they both read their own parts. So as a experience as an audiobook, I would recommend that specifically as an audiobook, not so much as as a book book. Um, and then one more thing that I really want to plug, even if no one fucking cares. Uh, we were, uh, I was, I've been reading some, like, trying to find if there are overall franchise histories now that I'm on the other side of MCU. And I found this one I really liked called uh, Hollywood Gothic by David J. Skull. That's S-K-A-L. Uh, he writes about uh, horror movies and stuff, but this is specifically uh, historical tracking of uh, Dracula from Bram Stoker to his current iterations and it involves some of the my favorite stories about uh, Pram Stoker's widow, uh, the lady Stoker, who just got her fucking bag. She was like, why <laughs> am I not getting money from Dracula? And we all know she got, uh, you know, some Prince of Nosferatu destroyed. But when you hear about like other ways she was getting ripped off, I totally give her the credit of, you know, cutting all those things off and then selling to Universal for a bunch of money. Uh, so Hollywood Gothic, I would recommend if you're interested in just laying out a history uh, of Dracula. I guess I've been into nonfiction is the answer, Patches. I mean, I was going to plug the MCU book, which is a book about the history <laughs> of franchises. Which Feel I have been free. Reading, reading in bits and pieces. I'm still making my way through it. Um, but you know what? It's a really good book about stuff that I didn't understand, like the fact that Iron Man was an independent movie when they made the damn thing and the complicated series of banks that had to get involved to make the movie possible. I didn't know any of this stuff. 
Uh, and the amount that I don't know about Marvel, I think, is only going to increase as I continue with the book. So uh, when's that book out, Dave? Uh, it comes out October 10th this year. You can mm. pre-order it and find some events at themcubook.com. Right around why the corner. They, why do they announce books so far in advance? I mean, I suppose you could say that they, they announce movies you know, years before they come out. But typically when they announce that a book is coming out like next May, like Miranda July's new novel, for example, it's already finished. I mean, there are galleys out in the world and people are reading it. Why is the runway for the publishing industry so long? Uh, I don't know, but considering we probably finished this book in March and started this book four years ago, this actually feels very, very quick to me. That, I mean, that is quick <laughs> relative to the, uh, you know, the publicity. I'm just happy. Well, I mean, I know the actual answer, which is that it goes through a whole bunch of things. First, you like slate it into something that can be printed. That has to be checked over by like 15 people. Then you have to get it to a printer who's going to make a whole bunch of choices about the actual paper printing. Uh, we were told that if we had finished this book before the pandemic, we actually could have had a turnaround of like three months. But now it's more like eight months because the backlog in terms of having the actual book printing materials is still that long. So uh, there's there's lots of reasons. I'm just happy I can still like I'm happy there are 2023 things in the book and the book is coming out in 2023 uh that's really the most i could ask for cool david you read read any any books books? oh man uh have i read any books (laughs) um i've read i I was struggling for a minute i was reading a lot of books over the summer and every i read four or five books every single night um (laughs) just (laughs) uh like john plasson's the skull uh a lot of Susie boynton uh, we're really big into oh no, oh my, oh dinosaurs right now. Um, I have a lot of books half read on my desk, including uh, Tim Blake Nelson's uh, Hollywood Satire City of Blows um, and Dan Coyce's Vintage Contemporaries, Dan Coyce of Slate. Um, I finished all of the last book I read cover to cover was Rachel Cuss novel transit i had never read a rachel cusk novel before and uh i found it pretty thrilling to be honest um i really enjoyed that one apparently all of her novels in the series at least judging by the uniformity of their graphic design are written in a similar style um i enjoyed that i fantasize daily about reading more books and then i come home get my kids to bed and sit on the couch and watch four hours of love island but one one day (laughs) It will happen. It's a novelistic show. Uh, uh, I, read, sure I read three books a night, very specifically, because that's the number we have. Um, and I just wanted to say Seth Meyers' book, I'm Not Scared, You're Scared, is a pretty good mm-hmm. kid's book. It's like funny and cute, but like not like, I'm a celebrity writing a book. Uh, so if you want a children's book by Seth Meyers, that's a good one. I'm not in the market for that, but these were all good recommendations, <laughs> and I thank you. <laughs> Uh, I would say many, many months after we said a couple times on this podcast, we should talk about past lives. Like, it's out in theaters. Like, it was at Sundance. It's like a hit in 
the indie art houses this summer uh, and we never got to it and we never got to it. And I personally uh, had plans to go see it at my local indie art house and I had the time wrong. And then I went on vacation and by that time it was out of theaters. Uh, and so now it is available to rent. Uh, so you can watch Past Lives, which I finally did. So we're going to talk about Past Lives. The directorial debut of Celine Song, who is a playwright, much like the character at the center of the film, played by Greta Lee, who I believe this is pretty neatly mapped on Celine Song's story, uh, grew up in Korea, moved with her family about the age of 12 to Toronto, and then eventually to New York to pursue a career as a playwright. Um, and that all that time she had this childhood friend named Hae Sung, who... She kind of had a crush on when she was 12, but she was 12 when she moved away. So boyfriend would certainly be overstating it. Uh, they reconnect 12 years after they, she moves away. So when they're in their early 20s um, via Skype, uh, the movie makes excellent use of early Skype sound effects that are very familiar to me from recording this podcast, honestly. Uh, a real Proustian moment with those. Um, and then it jumps forward again 12 years where uh, she is married. I mean, I... I a good hour goes by before you get back to the present, which surprised me based on what I had um, seen about this movie in that amount of time. Um, but uh, back to the present, she is married to an American guy named John, uh, played by John McGarrow, named Arthur. Um, and Hae-sung shows up in New York and she doesn't really know why. And they are going to resume the conversation that they kind of right, started having. You forgot the most 12. important part. Uh, what did I uh, John McGarrow's character is a novelist and he wrote a book called Boner. He did. <laughs> I was gonna ask. They don't really talk that much about it. Uh, no. Why is it called Boner? <laughs> okay. Uh, no. Many, many great questions there. Oh um, the yeah, and like I had been hearing about this movie for months. And I was like, oh, so like that's kind of the, the premise for the movie, and it's just about like, and then we're gonna see where the story goes from there. But that's kind of the story. It's about a woman's past and present colliding, and wondering about who she might have been if she had stayed in Korea or if she'd pursued a relationship with the sky and um lots of beautiful cityscapes and um thinking about where your life might have gone uh it's an incredibly beautiful movie particularly for someone who has never made a movie before which is a little bananas um she's an accomplished playwright uh but that doesn't necessarily never translate made it, like, it does in this case like, we no, all know that does it's, not it's, translate. Like it's really. I, and, I was and not. Like, I was not saying that as a uh, disqualifier to your comment. I was simply giving yeah. context. Uh, yeah, and like there. Are, I mean, a lot of this movie is scenes of conversations between two or maybe three people, but like they they wouldn't translate to a stage. Like really, nothing about this movie feels like something that's translated from the theater, which is pretty remarkable, um, given that it's Celine Song's first time out. David, rules. I actually I mean, don't know where like, you land on past lives. Me? I mean, everybody likes past lives, I think, but I don't know if you're like in the like it's a masterpiece camp or like very good movie camp. Um, I think you know this movie is is so David coded uh, <laughs> that it was sort of <laughs> I hardly needed to watch it to know how I felt. Um, I I am such a sucker for uh, movies about. The ones that got away, you know, impossible romances, the wistfulness and uh, that comes with that, and the bittersweet reality of compromise and all that shit, all the before, uh, before sunset shit, which this movie resembles in its in its tone, not its construction. Uh, although there are a lot of people walking and talking around a major world city, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I was uh, from the moment early on where the young. 
kid versions back in Soul of those characters um, are you see them separating, going on their separate paths, and she climbs up a staircase and he walks down the hill. I was kind of all the way in. Um, I I loved how I mean, obviously, Celine Song writing from personal personal experience. It has that texture to it. It has that knowingness uh, to it. It's not just hitting sort of the obvious beats that are designed to wrench your heart, even though it certainly does that. Um, but, you know, at its most basic, this is a story about a woman who, you know, is is reconnected with her childhood sweetheart um, and the, the person who could represent an entirely different path of her existence at a time when she is kind of settled, um, but maybe questioning what could have been um and yeah the sort of choice between those two things i think it's it's so beautifully rendered um the the moments between really all the characters but especially the way that celine song handles the john mcgarrow character who so could have been i mean like you know when i say the ralph bellamy does that mean anything to everybody else like Ralph Bellamy always played like the guy who at the beginning of the movie she's with, and you're like, ah, get rid of him, yeah, get with Carrie yeah. Grant. He, he yeah, could have like been that character. Baxter? Is that what the character? No, but it's yes, not the Baxter, Baxter because he is, you know, in real life, no, he is her husband movie. to this to this day, right? No, but it's like what's interesting. It complicates that because it could so easily in other hands where someone wasn't necessarily drawing from lived experience. Yeah, it could have been. You know, it could have been an easy choice. You could have. Um, you could have questioned. Uh, the character for even thinking about staying with him when this beautiful, you know, Korean man who she already knows so well and has these deep feelings with waltzes back into her life. Um, but it, it does well, such a beautiful job. he says that himself, like he of, has a moment where he yes. says out loud, like in, in a version of the story, I'd be the evil white American husband. Yes, um, which is, you know, I, something I imagine that he actually said in real life. It also does some convenient sort of house cleaning in the uh, in the script and getting everyone on the same page. But um, I think it's the, the movie is so humanizing to all of its characters and respects them in all their dimension. Um, and you really see that sort of come home in the beginning. But it's also the mission of the movie from the very first shot where you have all three of these characters seated together at a bar like very, very late at night. And you're just hearing the disembodied voices of other people in the bar, watching them and talking amongst themselves, trying to figure out what their relationships are. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's a great way like to open the most the like, play writer-y uh... Yes, I think she said that's basically where the idea like that happened that moment it was her in real life and that's where the idea for the movie came from and like as they you know the act of them trying to figure out the contours of that three-sided relationship what they could possibly be to one another working through the most obvious angles then sort of winnowing it down getting more detailed I mean it sets the groundwork for um, us to sort of think deeply about who these characters are to each other who you know what they each represent to each other Uh, it's all just so heartfelt and beautifully done and sincere i mean it is very twinkly and soft and uh all the shit that some people might be allergic to and i immediately am uh, overwhelmed by um but i think it's it's such an unusually uh skillful and emotionally intuitive version of this kind of story um and the sort of hybrid identity that you know the part of her immigrant identity that she brings to bear uh, on greta lee greta lee who you know, I think it gives just an astonishing performance in this movie. I mean, like, I really, um, I I was really blown away by it and now desperately want to see her in as many dramas as possible. Um, it, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's just so rich and nuanced and the ending hit me so hard and felt so real and true to life, which it literally is, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to feel that way when you watch a fictionalized version of it, but it does in this case. Uh, I really, really love that movie, this movie, rather. I... 
Um, I'm happy to sort of go with the, the consensus here. Patches and Dave, you guys else? also like saw it Dave, more recently, what do you think? right? Ask live. Oh yeah, no, I dug it. I mean, m mostly it's just the honesty that it meets you with every time it could meet you with a trope. Uh, really, I mean, it was clicking for me throughout the whole movie. But when we return to the bar where we start the movie, and we've already have a uh, context for both uh, Arthur and Haesung, um, the movie really clicked into a different gear for me because uh java speaks farsi as does her entire family so there have been lots of social situations where i'm in the arthur spot where it's like i know enough words to know if like my name comes up or like boyfriend or something like that uh, but what otherwise... is the farsi word for dave is that uh it's dave dave oh <laughs> uh -huh. so yeah you would know if that came up i guess they made yes, up a yes. mean new name for you i guess you would know that too uh, maybe not. I would just hear repeated things. There are some times where I'm like, Java, what does this word mean? And I'll say something. She's like, I don't know what word you're saying. So I'm like very far uh, distant from being fluent, even though Arthur's trying. He's also not fluent. But just in that moment, how you see both men put trust into the Nora character and how the Nora character, you know, is chasing what she wants, but also knows how to balance those two things and trusts Arthur to be her husband and not necessarily have to know everything that's going on. There's just like some degree of realism to that that kicked it into a different gear for me. So by the time we got to the ending, I was as crushed as the characters were uh, in that moment, just with like the feeling that you like hit an inflection point where you could leave your entire life behind and basically jump into a different dimension but everybody involved knows that's the wrong choice but you still go right up to the edge um mm. it's just such an amazing uh, emotional place to uh take it I, and i've had trouble describing why i like past lives to people previously without you know spoiling too much about what i'm talking about because it is such an emotionally forward movie where i'm like not dealing with I'm not dealing with the uh, no one can can save you a alien question plots. I'm just following one emotional reality to the next. So like I was already deep into it by the middle where she's like she meets Arthur at a writer's retreat and they're like, you know, bullshitting with the other residents and having wine and her and Arthur sort of like end up and I'm like, don't don't date the other writer at your writer's retreat. That's that's not a that's like dating a coworker. That frowned upon. They, and, yeah, well, I mean, I I wouldn't do it. It works out well in the movie, but already at that point, I was emotionally invested in Nora making decisions, uh, and that's a, a deeper hook, I think, than uh, most straight dramas uh, have me that that quickly. Uh, the first part of this movie. I don't know if I was exactly where David was where as soon as they part as kids, but definitely the way the Skype communication sort of breaks down. I'm like, oh my God, I've lived or know people who lived through all of these situations. And so mm -hmm. it became incredibly personal. And I don't think it's necessarily has to be incredibly personal to me. I think it's just that universal. And somehow this movie taps into that uh, level of emotion it, where it's also, even if you are from Seoul, you could feel it. No, go ahead. no, yeah, it's it's also like it, it it is very 
good at making palpable or taking you back to in case of your own personal experience the the rare moments in your life where you recognize at the time you were faced with a decision that will shape the course of the rest yeah. of your life and like the yeah. pressure that that brings to bear that's, and yeah that's where it really started working on me like i i do i i think i'm in the pretty good not masterpiece uh on this one but i do think like the i find the middle kind of meandering but it almost doesn't matter like i i i feel like this movie has to be so quiet and inching toward boring uh to let you flood it with your own thoughts and memories and kind of let your mind wander to a certain degree um so that by the end i mean i spent a lot of this time just thinking about uh, and something i haven't thought about in a long time where i'm just like my breakups and like crying on walking around new york during college crying and being like i broke up with a girl and wondering if that was if i broke up with the person i should have been in love with or like feeling those emotions that having been in a steady relationship for some time obviously marriage and children and dating is so far removed and like these choices that we've made i don't really linger on that too much but to be able to kind of flood this movie with my own experience and then and then see oh that's just gut-wrenching watching what you were describing, the, the first scene introduces the, the three characters, but as we learn later in the movie, I mean, I guess I, I won't spoil it. I don't know if it's spoilable, but she's like having intense, she's movie. having a pretty intense conversation with her former flame in front of her husband in a way that's just like, what are you doing? This is pain. This <laughs> but is, what, this is but yeah, I mean, it's like, what can she do? It would be so disingenuous uh and i think ultimately harmful to her marriage if she didn't have those conversations i mean it's like they all everybody knows the score even if there is a language barrier um, also it's an intense which, conversation but like i don't think there's a lot of like risk in the conversation that they're having like the she's having this conversation with him but you know something that i felt throughout that i think maybe kept me more of an emotional remove is that like he feels very invested in the relationship with her whereas she feels so secure in where her life is now that I didn't feel the like the sense of her being torn the way that I, I think I needed to I at about, the end of the movie. I don't think it's about being torn like they're going to have an affair. Or something. It's about the weight of choices. I mean, you don't think by the end when she's in tears that she also being kind of crushed by this moment? About no, I, I and... got that that was the implication of the movie. I did not feel the weight of that emotion by the time that, that mm. happened. I felt that the movie had more of an emotional remove then. Because it's so pretty and everyone is so quiet and everyone's everyone like is outwardly at like a five the whole time. And like that there's you, I think that there's are all these rolling, roiling un, emotions underneath everybody, but I found them harder to access than I wanted them to be. Some would say roiling emotions are the best kind. But I the, mean, uh, I love a good you can't say all the things that you feel movie, but uh, like yes, we love they, that. it was too um, unsaid, I think. I I oh, haven't seen this movie since I haven't seen this movie since January, but I do remember feeling like it really could go either way. And I think oh, you know that shot I never felt um, that. Uh we probably should have had a spoiler gone for this. Um already at this point. <laughs> the twist but, ending um, of the alien movie. No, it's no, it's, not, it's obvious. It's not, but like I think the tiny it would be, it's a big conversation. It would be a life. disservice to people watching no, this know. movie to I know exactly what happens. But um you know, I I uh I remember thinking that like as settled as she was, I mean it was possible. I do I do think that 
the movie is constantly telling you that like it, the, the real drama is about her sort of interpolating this past into her present and not exchanging her present for the past. Um, I think mm-hmm. that is true yeah. and why I think in my heart of hearts, I sort of well, expected this way and the way that it does. Well, you don't but, see a lot in the movies how I felt. It's just like someone who has love for both people, very strong emotions and it's not betrayal and it's so often positioned as that and like the high stakes will they won't they kind of conversation but just like she loves her husband she loves this childhood romance and this deep friend like there's a lot of love going on here how do you how do you deal with that which love what love is true love or what love is the love you stay with i don't know it's 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 totally messy and for all the kind of like slack i feel in the middle of the movie I just feel like the last 20 minutes of this is a complete knockout. I also love, love, love the soundtrack and the music yeah. from uh, Christopher Bear and Daniel Rossett of Grizzly Bear. Like, I just love this piano jazz tree or whatever they're going on there. I, I thought it was the perfect compliment for this meditative movie where I just wanted to be walking around New York. I felt transported. I felt like I'm, again, I'm in like breakup mode, all the 20s emotions come flooding back here as i'm like walking the city thinking about feelings and just like something i not i'm not in that mode at all anymore i don't think about dating if we're talking uh full spoilers i really want to ask you guys who more recently saw this movie what you think about the very 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 last shot of the movie because i remember feeling uh when i saw it to jog your memory, if you're still listening to this, I hope you've already seen past lives. Um, but the, uh, you know, she walks back up to her apartment with John McGarrow and then the door John closes. John McGarrow having the body snatched like, by the aliens earlier right. in the film. Mm-hmm, and it's, mm-hmm. it seems like a natural place to fade or cut to black. And then we get one more shot um, of the other man in her life sitting in a cab as he goes over a bridge, I can't remember which, on his way to the airport. And... I remember at the time feeling like that was a mistake that like that movie, it airs on that. It ends rather if it cut with them going into the apartment on this note of closure, but also this sort of thing always hanging in the air. I wanted it to end on Greta Lee's character. And I guess over recent months, I, I was, you know, maybe a little bit too hard on that at the time where it, like it felt like it let the air out of the balloon a little bit. But I think there is something poetic about, you know, now that she has achieved closure, you know, letting the, you know, the other man in the situation, like thinking about his journey now and like where he is going, what's the, the world is sort of open to him because he's gotten closure of his own. Um, but has I don't he gotten know. closure? I see, I see you don't think he's thinking of her, like, this isn't. And she's going to be thinking of him. Like, there's I don't no think closure. he's yes, gone from her imagination. I know. I think that there's a lot of closure there. I don't think really? that there's any. I like they will both be. They gift each other the, the the gift, the mutual gift of being able to think fondly of one another and sort of live that alternate, you know, what if scenario in their own heads on civil terms for the rest of their lives. But I don't think there's any lingering threat of them actually coupling up. Um, you know, as long as Domagero is alive. Well, I don't. Uh, I don't think that that's what I, I mean by I, like not having closure. I don't think there's a risk. I just think that connection can't be settled like there's no removing it from her heart and he will always be tethered to her unfortunately for I, them maybe they will be tortured on something like i hear that. what 
I hear what you're saying, David, but I also appreciate seeing the consequence when the choice is eventually made, and that that consequence is not him, like, bawling on the way to the airport. Like, it makes me feel like their last moment, you know, is the perfect last moment for them, and, you know, they're gonna see each other in another life. And I think it would have been... I, 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 I like how Sung is positioned as a character in this, because there's a way to treat him like you would treat an evil Arthur character where it's like, hey, she made a life without you. It's not her fault that your life didn't continue on the way that you wanted to and you're getting mm. drunk with your bros and soul. Like, don't put that on her not Skyping with you or don't put that on like there's an escape hatch to your life. He needs to be as okay with the decision at the end as she is and we see that Arthur is when he you know, accepts her back in and everybody closes. So I think we just check in on all our characters at the end to see the consequence. It's devastating for her, but she made the right decision. Arthur, probably happy that she made that decision, but maybe didn't doubt it. We don't know. Either way, he gets settled. And so we do need one more shot, I think, just to show that Sung isn't devastated. He's also reached the settlement yeah. point. Yeah. He's open to new adventures. You know the the yeah. you know the world is always. He there. tells her she's the one who stays for him, and um, she was the one who left for him. So now he's the mm-hmm. one who goes and gets. Now to... he's rubbing it out in the back of an Uber. Isn't that what's <laughs> yeah. happening? He's, in that he's a very very attractive man, and will have no shortage of people to choose from. I love his 2012 hair or 2011 whatever, where he's got that like intense swoop, and you're like, oh god, they gotta get rid of this for President. I hate and, like, both he comes of back, them he's like, in this ah. movie. Because they really are able to play 24 years of their lives without I, much Well, no, doubt. they don't play the 12-year-old versions. Okay, that's they true. Play the, they that play, wasn't them? They play 12 years yeah. of their lives. Okay. But yeah, yeah but Irish still, them right down to 12. They can play, like, out of college <laughs> to 40, and I curse them. Yeah. It I is think... so easy, you know, because I would clearly be the John McGarrow in the story for several reasons, you know, beyond the fact that I'm just like a white writer in New York. Uh, but I like your, man, your book it's so... called Boner really gives my, you that. I, I, did write, I did write a famous book called Boner. Uh, <laughs> but the I wonder what her husband's actual book was called. I'm guessing it wasn't Boner. I think it was like Erection. Um, the uh, that's a joke. The um, yeah, I mean, just like the feeling of like having this this woman who is so beautiful as your wife and you're so in love with her and happy and then like you see her ex and you're just <laughs> you're like what the fuck <laughs> like, like it really I, I think the movie conveys or maybe i was just projecting onto it the the just how um intimidated i would be in that situation uh like, he I, I wrote a book worthy. called oh he wrote a book called uh famous people which is a much yeah. less fun title than boner he also sure, wrote the screenplay for Challengers. Time. I didn't know this. Yeah, he's a Did YouTube guy, and so is Celine Song. They're both playwrights. They're both like extremely online people. Celine Song has directed plays within The Sims Four, I believe. Um, what? They're very online. Oh, go to Polygon for that story, David. Yeah, she directed. I think she did a checkoff play in The Sims. Not to fact check me, but um, um, they, these guys are. She also in. famously, and I, I believe this is on her Wikipedia page, sat in front of me during a screening of Alex Garland's Men mm. last year, mm-hmm. uh, when I had no idea who she was, and people kept coming up to her and being like, "I loved your movie," and I was like, "Who is this? Who made this A twenty four movie that everybody loves, <laughs> and how do I not know who they are?" And I uh, quickly learned. <laughs> and then every twenty minutes, she'd chime in with, "Ha, men." 
Just yeah, in the middle yeah. of the screen. I'm in the middle this of the guy screen. made a viral video called The Potion Seller in 2011 that I had never heard of. You're falling down the rabbit hole on Mike. This is great. Well, Past Lives, it's available. We rented it. That was the impetus of this doing it right now because it's finally available to watch at home. Should have seen it in theaters. That's my David quote. But um, I think we all liked it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We all have it, to look inward. Yeah. Any long lasting be... loves you're going to reconnect with now? I mean, I don't know if that's the part I'm going to take away, but I bet <laughs> one or more of us will talk about it on our top 10 episode this year. I, I, I have a feeling it'll probably come back up Let's around. I liked it a lot. That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. I think last week we said we were going to do Wes Anderson, but we're doing it for real next week uh, because his shorts will be on Netflix and we're going to talk about Asteroid City. We like real, really, really proud of ourselves it. for planning right. ahead. And yeah, then uh, the calendar. <laughs> best of us. But next week, take us down to the Asteroid City. Um, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. Take me down to the Asteroid City. Mm-hmm. I'm Matt Patches, executive editor at Polygon.com. I'm on X. Twitter. I'm on Blue Sky. I'm on Letterboxd. Mr. Patches. We have a website, fightingintheworm.com, where you can listen to. I don't know. We didn't. We probably did book segments in the past. You should just listen to every episode to find out what books we've recommended over the years. I think <laughs> we'd all be surprised to learn the answer to that. Fightingintheworm.com. I am David Ehrlich. I am currently the thirteen thousandth, two hundred and eighteen ranked Marvel Snap player in the world. Um, we're proud of this yeah <laughs> they do that now they they uh, rank you once you reach in- infinite and uh, I'd say that's more or less all I've got going for me in this in this crazy life uh, but I do have a podcast that you've just listened to and it's called Fighting in the War Room and if you would like to leave us a review of that show on iTunes you can go to Fighting in the War Room in your iTunes podcast app leave us a review we'll read it live on the show uh, if you're not in these United... Oh, you can find me right on X, Blue Sky, where I exclusively skied about Marvel Snap on Letterboxd and so on. <laughs> you can read my review of uh, the creator. If you want a preview of um, a future discussion, you can read my review of Past Lives if you want a more articulate overview of a recent discussion. You can find all of us on iTunes, as I said, Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We'll read it live on the show. If you're not in the United States uh, and you don't have access to our iTunes store, you can email us. Dave, where can they do that? You can email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. Hello again, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter and uh, Blue Sky at DA7E. Uh, you could also check out uh, MCU Reign of Marvel Studios at themcubook.com, or you could pre order it and check out events I'll be doing in October and November. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair on Little Golden Men. Uh, I'm playing in the Vulture Movie Fantasy League. I think by the time you hear this, it's too late to sign up. But uh, hopefully other people are playing. It's going to be fun. I know Matt Patches is playing and thinks that drafting Will we be able to look up each other's ballots? I believe so. Uh, okay. At least you, need to share, you might need to share your team or your... Um, David, David, you should you do it me? before the end of the night. That's true. Just As you are talking to us right now, you can compete. do it. I, I did it, but my Patreon Slack has their own league, so yeah, I'm in there. I'm theirs. definitely not doing oh, whatever this is. But, uh, you can find it, me as Rustin Bones you. and All is my player name. What is yours, Patches? Ooh, nice. Just have fun with your life. Patches, what is, what like is your team name? I want to go watch Love Island and oh, play my... video games. 
Steam name is Movie Club with a Q. Well, no, that's your league. What's your like your individual Patches. name? Oh. <laughs> yeah, my individual what, name is DA70. What else should it be? I don't know. Dumb puns about movie titles, which is what I did. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's what I did. Boner. Uh, I got off track. I am on uh, Twitter and Blue Sky because uh, I keep thinking Twitter's gone for real uh, at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. We're all on Twitter and Blue Sky at F-I-T-W-R where I would love to hear your movie league names, uh, especially your funny ones. Or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was? In honor of the creator in theaters this weekend, what's your favorite non-human masquerading as a human in a movie? Thanks for listening and we'll be back talking to you next week.